we introduced carbon fiber structure core, which is our SST, there isn't a paddle that even comes close in terms of technology and design and everything. This one like nailed it on all of those aspects. That can generate at eight ounces, the same velocity of a paddle that weighs nine and a half ounces. The important point here is where technology is going. I think I have maybe 19, 20 patents to date. And then um, I just, like I said, I applied for 16. I think we'll probably get all 16. I'm pretty confident. Well, we need to do it to protect our technology because then we have the situation of... What do you mean by you don't believe in thermoform? So now you have a paddle that'll play great for maybe a month or two and then it breaks down. So you don't know what you're talking about, right? Because you don't inject foam around the perimeter. I mean, it's, it's a whole process, right? It's a different process. So, so the consumer wins, but, but the industry loses in a way because we're coming out with a line it's called a g2 which is a fully molded paddle with a honeycomb core we took a technology that we introduced probably seven years ago this is the closest to the claim of having the most power the most control the largest sweet spot and maneuverability in a paddle and this is definitely hands down the most advanced paddle Welcome to another episode of Building Pickleball. My guest today is Rafael Filippini. He's the founder, engineer, and inventor for Gearbox Sports, a composites company specializing in pickleball, racquetball, squash, and paddleball. Thank you to all my subscribers. Welcome to Building Pickleball. Thank you. Glad to be here and uh, excited to talk about our new products and um, a little background of who we are and where we come from. Yeah, the uh, second time. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> oh man for the people listening we i had some technical difficulties on my end and this we're doing this a second time around so appreciate you coming down i, I was up in san antonio and now you came down here so appreciate you making the time especially on absolutely. saturday absolutely no no really appreciate the opportunity i didn't know what you were going to come in honestly but you came in on like your bike and i was like damn this is badass like you yeah, live up to all that. I think I mentioned the first episode, you know, growing up in Southern California, we do. I mean, one of the cool things of being down there is I mean, we used to go like skiing in the mountains um, in the morning, like an uh, hour and a half away. And you can come back, make it down to San Diego and go surf, you know, in, in the evening, get a little or go dirt bike riding, um, you know, skateboarding. It's just it, it was a really, really cool place to grow up because you had so many things. So. You know, this bike that I came in today, that's, those are just um, things that you never grow out of, you know, <laughs> as a kid. I mean, so motorcycles and all that, I mean, I, I really enjoy. So it's a nice day today. I figured, you know, get out and uh, ride and do the interview and talk about Gearbox and a little bit of background of ourselves. So I think this is sort of like figuring out who we are. And um, so, yeah, that's part of my person. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, that's what we're here for, right? Like, I yeah. love that. I love that side of the platform is that like people, they usually comment, they're like, oh, it's like, I didn't know this about this founder. And like, that's what I'm trying to show, right? Like we see the website, we see the products, but then we don't see like who's really behind it. And, like, I feel like that's what we should be connecting to mostly is like, not just the product because a lot of products can be similar. It's difficult, I think, to like the layman to differentiate what makes a product different. But then not just that, but like each individual behind the product is very different. Like I think people just have different purposes. People have different intentions, different backgrounds. Like you have that background that this goes into the first question is like something that separates you from most other founders and individuals in this space 
is that you've been in a racquetball since 2007. You opened up the product line for pickleball in 2015. Like, help me visualize what that was like back then even. And like, you're still, a lot of people now are just coming to this sport probably in the past few years. It's like, you've seen that growth happening. Since I was a young kid, uh, five years old, started playing baseball. So I've always been athletic. You know, I uh, love sports. I think sports are an important part of an individual or, you know, a person growing up. It, it's mind, body, and, uh, you know, health sort of a thing. So um, because of sports, too, I mean, I, I was able to get a scholarship from, uh, for university from, for racquetball. Uh, I was in the military. I went into the Marine Corps very young and, um, through racquetball, I was able to, um, get on the Marine Corps racquetball team. And, and, um, you know, they, they also paid for college. So, you know, sports just opens up so many opportunities. I think, you know, even the Olympics politically, I mean, race, every, everything is almost, it becomes so neutral. It becomes so, um, you know, you, you don't see, you're just competing against other individuals. You know, it doesn't matter background, where you come from. You're just trying to show that, Hey, this is my best against your best. And, and it all, it's a common ground where everybody comes in and, you know, and, and, and becomes this, this great place. So I, sports have a very special place for me in, in, in those terms. Um, all of my relationships are, you know, my best friends are because we used to travel in sports, you know, doing, doing everything. So, um, that connection to me, I, I brought that through and, and because of sport, I was able to, uh, continue with school. I was able to, you know, uh, work and everything I do now is I tied my, my sports background, my education, what I do for a living today. I mean, it's, it's all based on, you know, when I was a five-year-old kid playing baseball, you know, hitting a stick with it. And, and, and I think that's just such a, a great opportunity and, and very privileged, you know, and, and I appreciate that I've been able to live that way because, um, you know, most people, um, my parents even now is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you going to get a job at some point? <laughs> you know, like, well, I thought I'm working, you know, this, this feels like work and, um, or it doesn't feel like work, you know, but you know, my, my parents, he was like, God, dude, you gotta grow up at some point. Right. <laughs> but I, I disagree with that. <laughs> you know, I pay my bills and I have fun and, or, you know, I'm enjoying <laughs> I pay my bills. Damn it. <laughs> That's right. It's like, how much more can you grow up? You know, yeah. as long as you're responsible with bills, you're okay. What were you doing before you formed Gearbox? Like, have you always been an entrepreneur? Did you work for other people at some point? Actually, I've, I've been an entrepreneur since a young kid. I mean, at 10 years old, I used to go around the neighborhood and, you know, cut people's yards or trim their trees. Um, I bought a lawnmower. I remember I'd push it around. And um, um, at, at the age of 13, um, I, I got into buying... Um, there was a store in California. It's called Mervyn's, and um, they they used to sell like these watches that um, there were watches that they would scratch the back of it. Uh, there were returns, uh, perhaps from uh, 
customers and you get them for like 40 to 50 percent off the regular mm -hmm. price so i used to go buy three or four and then um i'd go and find customers for it you know so um like i would go and sell it to family members or whatever and make a little bit of money on it so i and um then later actually what um i've always done something like a little side or hustle you know that uh growing up and i i did i mean i worked at a grocery store bagging initially and then i did some other you know teenage sort of jobs and and um went in the marine corps um did that for five years and then during that time uh, my parents had like small restaurants and, and and i was about 20 i was in the marines going to school and i thought well i'm gonna give this i thought i wanted to do you know that that type of a business restaurant and and, and i did and um, I opened a couple small restaurants, um, like, you know, very small, um, Mexican food and, and, um, broiled chicken kind of a thing. And I found out early that that just wasn't for me. You know, I love the business side of it, but not, oh, the hours were just, were you like innovating the chicken? <laughs> yeah. Right. Innovating. No, but I, I was doing systems because I, 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 my father, um, you know, he, he was very distrusting of people. He's, oh, you need to have, you know, uh, managers. And, and he couldn't just give up control. So it was, and I could see that, like, you know, I think he had eight restaurants or so, small restaurants, and and he couldn't grow beyond that because he could he just wanted the control, you know, of... He was very distrusting with people. So, and I saw that. And then he had like a small distribution center that where they created, he had this secret recipe, right? For, um, for the chicken. And he ended up like, he, he started selling some restaurants to try to franchise. And, um, so it ended up where people would, um, get the, the chickens that he marinated and then they would buy their own and then they'd kind of blend them and rub them together try to and, and so you could see some of those things that were not in control and i was fairly young back then so i did try to write down procedures and, and things too and that's why i thought well I, you know i want to go to school i want to figure out how to create procedures where it was you can do things time after time and i remember i had dad complaining about one cook or another that they would tweak the recipe based on what they liked and you know so anyway i wasn't inventing anything in particular but i did want to create structure and things like that so when i i came in and i opened my place or a couple of them um i tried that and but it, it just i was way too young i was 20 years old and you know and and um i wasn't ready to work that that type of those types of hours and I was still in the Marine Corps and, and all that. So I was trying to manage from the outside and, and I quickly realized that that business, it was very enslaving almost. Yeah. Yeah. You just, it's, you go in early and you, I mean, it, it's nonstop. So, and then the reward maybe wasn't there. Right. Um, now I'm, I'm so far beyond the food industry. I'm just like, no, I, 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 I really enjoy the composites and the structures and, and all the things that I do today, you know, that, but um, I think those were very good routes, I guess you'd say, to, to get started. Business in itself, I think it's all the same or very similar. But um, so, I mean, for a young kid like myself to be able to do those things, yeah, it was 
very, very good for me to learn. And then um, I did work for another company as an engineer. I was uh, building product and, and um, because of uh, the racquetball side, I was playing on the pro tour and I was the engineer for, for this brand and um, for about 13, 14 years. And, and that really opened up my eyes from, you know, coming from a family business sort of mentality to more corporate and, and uh, seeing more things. And, and that, you know, I was like, yeah, this is the direction that I, that I want to go. And I, I worked for the company. It was, we had an awesome relationship with the owner. Um, I got to do and, and create and build a lot of things. I left um, only because um, that particular owner um, was hesitant. He, 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 he wanted perfection, right? He's kind of an individual that he wanted everything lined up perfectly before we launched a product or it's like, oh no, the, this, the market has to be right. This has to be right. And I just, like I would develop a product that took three or four years before it went into market. He was always waiting for like for the right timing. And, and, and for me, I, I was building a lot of things. I was like, ah, we build the product and we're like, okay, let's go, you know, take it to market. No, 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 it's, it's not quite ready yet. You know, we have to do this or um, we have to do more. We got to investigate that, that market a little more. And, and, and years would go by and we're like, Oh man, I think we're losing the opportunity. Well, even I found that later. I mean, is he, he could have entered pickleball uh, easily a long time ago. He's like, no, I, I um, you know, I, while looking at this pickleball thing, I, I don't think it's going to be a viable business. You know, all the, the research that I did and all that. And, and sometimes I think if you get caught up too much into the details of, you know, your, your business plan and all this, um, yeah, you can lose the opportunity. I mean, I'm, a little more of a risk taker. So I jump in and once I'm in, I'm just like, you figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? don't tell you came here on like a dirt bike, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's super interesting though, because like your experience of working for your dad, like that was definitely a formative year. Like the way you are talking about it, you question the way things are. And you can see that in the way that Gearbox is now, like you're not following the same blueprint as everyone else. We will, we'll get into that, but like, when you show me the materials, like the composites, and then you also show me like uh, just how the paddles are just made differently. Everyone kind of claims that, right? But it's really, it might be something on the exterior. It might be some like, some like technology, like I guess in the past year or two, it's been like thermoform. But when I actually look inside, I like look at the core and I look at the patents of Gearbox. It's great to see that, okay, when I introduced you as engineer innovator like inventor like those are all true titles right um but it's also very interesting that like two things that really stood out to me was like a lesson you learned from your dad is probably like control and then also lesson that you learned from working for that other individual was like this idea of perfection and you're just like not just a risk taker just like go and put it out there and just let things unfold rather than trying to predict the right time. Are those two things something that kind of guides how Gearbox is now and the way you treat the company? Yes, absolutely. And um, I have, uh, my sister actually works uh, with me and um, she's operations manager and does this. And she's also very, very structured. And I say also not because of me, but more like my old boss, right? Um, I'm more of a risk taker. I, I, I see things and I was like, no, we, we have to, 
do things now kind of a thing. So there is a balance. I, I think if I was just on my own and, you know, you have to have somebody to maybe balance you out a little bit, right? But I, and a lot of times, you know, you just, um, I see, I see things and you have this gut feeling like, oh, it's the right time and, and you go. And, and, and quite honestly too, I, I feel that if you don't do it and you don't just put yourself out there, you won't learn. You know, we learn from making mistakes. I think those, you know, yeah, you don't, you want to be cautious. You want to do a little bit of research or, or, or a lot of it and, um, and understand what you're getting into. But, um, fear, I think will prevent most people or a lot of people from moving forward. The unknown, right? We, we, um, Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, you're never going to really know until you actually dive in and, and you're in it. And, and once you are in it, you figure ways to get through it. Right. And, and you persevere, you, you kind of push. And, and then if you fail at that, whatever thing you're doing, you learn from it and you try it again, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's on, I mean, that, that, what, that's what makes a difference of why some people do certain things and others don't you know a lot of times i mean I, with gearbox and everything that we do is like you know we're in a difficult situation whatever it may be i got it'd be easier to just work for somebody and come home at five and just chill right and and forget about it but that's not me i mean i i like the thrill i like the challenge i like the unpredictability um, yeah unpredictability solving problems doing and, and exposing myself to I just feel it makes me better. I grow. I grow from it. And um, I, I, I like just learning and, and, and putting myself out there. And I, I, I like being in uncomfortable places. You know, um, people that are much smarter than me, just, okay, throw yourself in that group. Learn. You know, you're going to learn. Yeah, you're intimidated, but you're saying, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll pick up a tip or two and then move on. And you put that in your you know, in, in your bag of knowledge sort of a thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's fun, you know. So, and it's worked for me, I think. You know, I'm, um, I've got a very nice business we, we enjoy. We, like I said earlier, I, I'm doing the things I love to do. And, um, and yeah, it's challenging at times, but, but it's very rewarding overall yeah man i agree 100 percent on like just being the kid in the sandbox rather than mm -hmm. being the kid that's like watching the other kids play right like there's definitely truth to that like you're gonna fail more times than they are but you're also gonna like be a lot closer to that one like small win that you're eventually gonna achieve i have plenty of people in my friend circle in my family who are much smarter than me much more talented but i just pull the trigger all the time and i even quote that from my my coach i asked i just ask him stuff like that he's just i asked him about advice right i'm just like right what do you usually take advice from he's like man unless these people aren't doing what i'm doing then i i usually don't take advice from most people i just keep pulling the trigger i was like yeah that's true like i just try to look at everything as like an experiment just like constant output and if you do that then there's always like a lesson that you're receiving from it like kind of like what you're saying um and going into like gearbox it's like you guys did you guys first put out the product line in 2015? Yeah, it was around 2015 and um, started developing around 2000, early, 
or late 2014, I, you know, I was exposed to pickleball around 2008. The first time there was some wood paddles. They had a little bit of honeycomb and I looked at the structures and I thought, wow, you know, especially coming from composites and, and, um, the way we build there's, you know, composites, you either, you press them from the outside in or, or the inside out. Like if you're blowing up a balloon kind of a thing, right? So, and you, you put it in a cavity mold. So my expertise are more blowing things up from the inside out and pushing the material to the walls of, you know, a cavity mold. Um, I do, you know, obviously press as well, but, um, in, in, in both of those, they work in a similar manner, but just different techniques. So <clears throat> I looked at, at pickleball, particularly the wood and then even the honeycomb structures. And, and back then they're, they're breaking all the time. And so our focus was like, boy, I could create a much stronger structure initially. And then pickleball back then, 2000, yeah, they, they had a lot of finesse and, and different shots, but it, the game was very basic, right? It was, you're, the strategy was you, you get into the kitchen and then you dink and then you wait for an opportunity. It wasn't as aggressive. You're, you know, you were trying to win the rally and the dinking and then maybe with an aggressive or a little more aggressive shot, you finish the game. But, and then as it progressed, I remember, um, players and then now this is probably 2018 or so. Um, there was a gentleman, uh, um, Marson, uh, I think his name, I forget his last name, but very good tennis player. He came in and, you know, they, they were a little more aggressive and I don't think Ben Johns or maybe he might've just been coming into the scene. So all these guys, I mean, you watch the game go from a very, con very easy dinking sort of control game, um, into what's what the game is today. And, um, the equipment, if you really look at it, hasn't really changed that much from like 2000. Well, some of the earlier honeycombs, I mean, they were using the same honeycomb paddles up until probably three years ago when they started playing around with more materials and, you know, the thermal form sort of structure. Um, but even beyond that, it's, it's still the same. You have a, a plastic honeycomb core or maybe a aramid or aramid is the same as Kevlar. So it's just a, okay. a different trade name, but um, or, or they might use an aluminum core, but now aluminum core, the, the Kevlar or Aramid cores are phasing out because they were loud. They were tingy. They, you know, they're, um, so polypropylene is sort of what stayed right. Or, or, or probably the most popular, um, we introduced a carbon fiber, uh, structure core, which is our SST around 2015. And we've been tweaking that you know since day one and um and by tweaking i mean we've changed all right it's october so that means it's about that time to start christmas shopping and viore let me know some of the best-selling products so i can make that easier for you if you're looking for something for your partner and they're female these are some good recommendations and if your partner is male, these are also some good recommendations. And since it's that time of season, things are getting a little bit colder and you may be looking for something maybe just for yourself and you're looking for something warmer. This is my personal recommendation. This is the Ponto crew neck. The entire Ponto line is super soft. I have that crew neck. I don't have any of the other items, but I really, really like that crew neck. It's really lightweight. When I recently went to Seattle, that was actually my favorite piece of clothing that I brought with me because it was just super lightweight and it was just enough to keep me warm in the airport 
or on the airplanes where they're typically a little bit colder, but not too much where it felt too heavy and almost like it would be too big to stuff into my bag. Go to viori.com slash building pickleball. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but you'll also receive free shipping on any orders of $75 or more, as well as free returns. Enjoy the rest of the show. The materials, the fiber angles, trying to make it a little softer, a little more stiffer, depending to get more flex and absorb more energy or return more energy. And we've our challenge has been sinking our core. And what I mean by sinking is like, we sync the playability, its response with the paddle, with the players, right? You have such a wide range of players that uh, there's players looking for power, finesse, and then there's just like some that I don't want any power in generator. I just want to be able to dink. So we were trying to make one or two paddles that would suffice that range, right? Or, or, or kind of cover that entire range. And we started finding out, well, we really can't cater to everybody. So let's focus on a group. And um, luckily for us, when we first came out in 2015, our paddles were pretty hot. And the the pro players, um, it was too fast for, for that style of game back then. But we had, we found a customer base that was a 70 plus year old customer, um, you know, females and males who couldn't really, when with a honeycomb paddle, when they went to return the ball, they couldn't get it passed over the net. Like, so they were having a hard time getting their return. Like they would serve to them and they would hit the ball and it wouldn't go very far past the net. So they couldn't get it to the back court. Um, but because our paddles had so much more pop, they're like, wow, now I can, instantly they were like, I can play pickleball now. I don't have to struggle and swing really hard. So we we were able to create this, and, and it was by accident. It wasn't by design. So that was one of those things. Hey, just get in the game and see where it goes, right? And um, so we had this group of people, particularly Florida, like South Florida, uh, Naples area, um, Utah, I recall. Um, so a lot of these markets were a lot of the uh, – snowbirds would go to you know retired older um, players they loved our paddle because it gave them that much more pop and so they it made them more competitive kind of level that playing field in that aspect. yeah level yeah. that that playing field for them so it and um so all of a sudden we're we're noticing like boy we're sending a lot of gearbox paddles to the older community so we're like okay that that works so we found this market that really worked and yeah, we weren't in that mainstream market where, you know, the tournament players and all that, because it wasn't sort of the right paddle for them. There, there's a few who, who got into it. And, um, because there were, we, more tennis players were coming in. So then as we grew, okay, now we were looking to slow the paddle down and, and more feel. So it took us about two years to get the next sort of generation. We slowed it down, put a little bit more feel. And that was our GX5. And where we missed that is it had this funny sound. Um, some people loved it and others hated it, right? So we're like very divided. It's like this paddle, you know, you had people who are like, oh, man, this this is wonderful. And, and 
you could see their opponents were like, God, I hate that paddle, the sound or whatever, you know, and, but others were like, we loved it. So that was another sort of lesson we learned. Well, <clears throat> people relate the sound to the performance of the paddle, right? So it was like um, a higher pitch generally tends to be more power. A lower pitch, people, the, and, 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 and what I'm saying is that We've tested the ball. So I've tested the ball coming off the face, the velocity coming off the face of the paddle. I can have two that are exactly the same. But I, I change the pitch to a higher pitch or versus a lower pitch, and I'll give the paddle the same person immediately. Oh, no, this one's more powerful. Oh, no, this one's for control. But the ball's really coming off the same. And I can tell them, it's like, oh, no, the ball's coming off the same speed. Oh, no, it's not. I could see it and I can feel it, but it doesn't. You know, it's exactly the same. So rather than sit there and trying to convince somebody, it's like, no, you're wrong. It's not coming off. And look, here's the measurements. Uh-huh. You say, okay, you're right. <laughs> you know, because that's your perception. Yeah. I can't change it. Right. Yeah. So, so we have to adapt to that perception or what that is. And here I'm sitting in a lab, I have measurements, and I'm like, no, this ball's faster, this one's slower, these are the same, now this pitch or that pitch. How do you create a video or, you know, a document? Nobody's going to read all this stuff. They're like, no, I don't care what you're saying, dude. You're, you're, you're kind of nuts. I feel the ball. I, I can see it. You know, this one has more power and this one's more control. They don't care how the sausage is made. Like, yeah. They just want... <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah well, you know, it... it tastes like this right and and you can't tell me that that's what it tastes like to me and so that was a a lesson that and i and i kind of knew that because from racquetball and, and other sports that we, when we develop and i'm working with athletes to get that feedback racquetball I would say was much easier because there were, were sound wasn't really coming into play as much as it does in pickleball the sound and you know how it does when you get into very high tensions you know like string tensions and string types but not as much as it's pickleball so that took a little while for us to adjust and and um so now we can do things to okay if the perception is a certain frequency that you know the ball has more control then let's put that into our matrix of developing a paddle we didn't have that in so now there's Okay, the perception of vibration, the feel when you hit the ball coming into your hand, how does that translate into your the audible, um, you know, the coming into your ear, what you feel, what you see, and how that ball reacts, right? So we kind of got a good handle of that, and then spin came in, right? So we're like, oh, now spin, texture, we had a fairly smooth surface we used to coat the paddle with a um it, it had a a softer durometer on the coating itself so the urethane that we used was a little softer so it actually grabbed the ball i thought the gx5 and the gx6 like that was my first paddle after my mm -hmm. amazon paddle i thought it was pretty gritty i had like the the green one. Oh yeah well we we asked we started doing a chemical process to kind of roughen the um yeah you know the texture a little bit but because prior to that yeah so uh our first paddles the uh surface we didn't have the grit and in the way the 
a customer, and this is probably, I don't know what, 2019, the first thing they do, they come up to our booth, they go, is just this. And if you don't have a, a certain like texture or, or feel, they just bypass the paddle. So we're like, oh, whoa. Um, so even though we had a like a softer um, finish and, and this our spin rates, if you go back, our spin rates have always been very, very good and, and high. I mean, it, it, uh, more than, you know, a lot of the paddles. And even when they were slick and smooth. But it didn't matter. If the consumer did this and there was no grit on it, they're like, I don't care if we talk about our, you know, bite technology. Oh, the ribs come through and they push and they do that. They're like, oh, I don't care. It's smooth and it doesn't have spin. So we're like, okay, now we got to fix that. You know, so it, and I'm talking about a period of seven years that we're learning and we're still learning um, because now you've got players coming in from all kinds of different sports backgrounds, some yeah. without, and they're being very creative and all that. So kind of keeping up and learning from all that has been a challenge. But I think we have enough knowledge now. And I think for the very first time, well, it's not that I think, I know now, we are able to put all the different things that the players are looking for. It's like, so they're looking for a textured surface and one that doesn't wear out after a couple of months, you know, the sprayed on ones tend to wear out fairly quick. Um, they want the texture to last a long time and, and perform. Um, and then uh, they want durable paddles. They want the feel. Um, they want the sound and all of these things to be incorporated into their paddle. But they also want tons of power, tons of control, huge sweet spots, and um, the ability to shape the ball beyond physics, right? So we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, okay, that's our goal, right? So started working on it. Uh, we've created a, this is a, a, a textured cure ply now. So this is actually cured. So we can now make the surfaces, you know, a certain way to texture it, not texture it. And then we created a, a, a method to bond this to a soft core, which is our, 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 our rib structure before going into the mold. And then we use pre-cured and, and, and uh, soft plies to bond, to create. Give you a little sneak peek into our paddle, but we're able to now put that textured surface right onto a molded paddle. So now that that textured surface goes into it, we, um, we're able to mold it and create this just... Um, awesome and, and and to be quite honest now so we said okay people want a fast paddle so we created a power and a control so they have a choice but in addition to that they're saying well i want to be able to really shape the ball so what we did with the core on, uh, on both of these is we made the core so it actually um, absorbs and it, it the the ball sort of sinks into the the face but also the the paddle flexes back and it shapes around the ball and it, and then it slings it or like a, almost like a slingshot or a trampoline, you know, trampoline. I think that's probably the most common word being used today, but it's occurring with the entire structure. So it's flexing from the throat area. It's bending back. It's, it's sort of cupping around and then it throws the ball back. And um, we're doing that. And we also lowered the frequency. So now there's, 
the control aspect is in there. So you have very easy dinking. We've increased the size of the sweet spot on, on the paddle. So, I mean, literally you can bounce a ball almost all the way to the edge of the frame and it's get you, you have that, that forgiveness or that, you know, that dwell time that goes into the ball. So expanding the sweet spot makes a very for, uh, forgiving paddle. The, um, it's at eight ounces and, and people generally when you have a light paddle and you hit the ball off center, it tends to twist very easy, but because this one absorbs the ball, it, it, it doesn't twist in your hand. So we can keep a very neutral eight ounce paddle with a very light, um, rotational, uh, weight and gives you very quick hands and tons of stability. That's caused by what you were talking about with that carbon fiber, like it more pliable like this, like front and back, but it's not like twisty, right? Yes, correct. And then, and then the, the actual face is, it's more forgiving. So the ball travels deeper. One of the things, um, you know, people notice when you hit a ball, there's a ball mark that's left on the, you're going to notice with these paddles, the ball mark diameter is actually going to be larger. And it's not that you're compressing the ball more or you're not flattening the ball. What's actually happening, the ball's going, traveling deeper into this paddle. So you have more surface to surface contact with the ball. So the paddle is sort of wrapping around the ball and then it releases. So by having more of that surface to surface contact, you're able to keep the ball a little longer on your paddle because you have more of the ball going in, it grabs it and then you can actually spin it uh, more. So that's the shaping of the ball and, and the energy that it returns. We did it in two ways. So one in the, we have the power and then we have the control with the control. We actually, the energy coming in from the ball and then the impact, we keep more of that in the paddle. It doesn't, go back into the ball we're on the control or we're on the power um we push more of that energy back into the ball so then you'll see this as the ball exits our power paddle it's coming off hot versus the other one the other one you're going to have to generate more of the power yourself where this one you could keep actually a, a shorter stroke and generate plenty of power with it. What's behind the technology? Uh, it's the way we built the core. So, um, yeah, you talked a little bit about that rib structure before. If you could yeah. kind of explain it like an, I don't know I'm if a, the camera would pick some of this up, but there's some writing on, on these. So this one says 30 degrees. So this is, um, this is a 30 degree ply. Uh, FAW is the fiber aerial weight or, or the density for a certain area for a square meter. This is zero degree or oh, 19 degree. This 19 degree is, is fairly stiff. You see that where a 30 degree, same, same material, just different angles, very soft. And then we have zero degree. Well, I, I kind of broke this one up, but um, this is very stiff. I mean, so you, you, this, this guy will, but it's all the same and it's, you know, T 700, at zero degrees, 19 degrees, and 30 degrees. And I think I even have a, well, I had a 45. Um, so by changing the fiber angle, you can change how stiff the bending, uh, or you can make it more flexible, or you can make it stiffer so there's more resistance. But also if we change, if this one's 30 degrees, it's softer. But when I go to twist it, it's going to be stiffer on the 
when I twist it because you have a positive and negative, so it's going to take more force to twist. Where the zero, I can twist and, and essentially just, there's no fiber in between. This is just being held by resin. So the, most of this structure, its strength is at zero degrees this way. So this is very, very stiff. That is one way by changing our rib structure inside. So we have ribs that run the length. That is how we begin to either absorb energy and keep it in the paddle or return it. Um, one of the cool things that we did with this, and you'll see some drawings or graphics, we actually, so our rib structure runs from the top down to the bottom of the paddle. Well, on this particular one, we broke it up into seven sections. So rather than being one single core, we have seven micro cores within the core of the paddle. So what that does is by creating these sections, now there's no structure in between the sections. So that makes, you know, that allows you know, for more movement and it allows for more reaction, but the compression is still there. So we allowed the whole structure to move back and flex and sort of shape. And, and that's where, you know, that is how these cores are much different. And that's, what's really cool about carbon fiber. You cannot do that with polypropylene poly plastic is just the piece of plastic. I mean, it's like a straw, right? It, there's very little structure to it. It's, it's heavy. Uh, this thing is just, I mean, super light and, um, but it's extremely strong. Like you can hang a semi truck off of this piece and the tensile strength of it is just tremendous carbon fiber and, and utilized in the right way. I mean, you can make just some amazing structures and that's really my specialty, right? So that's where we can get into these really cool structures and, and create <clears throat> these systems that are very efficient in absorbing energy or returning energy and feel. And, and then we, we created some dampening materials in there that, <clears throat> that help us with that perception of feel, right? So that's connected to sound. It's connected to the vibration in your hand and how the ball sort of jumps off the face. So for the very first time, and I think in pickleball in general, and, and there isn't a paddle that even comes close in terms of technology and design and everything. And um, this one like nailed it um, on all of those aspects. And, um, and, and I think this is the beginning of a new generation of pickleball paddles that will be uh, for sure, I, I think Gearbox will lead that because uh, we have patents on all this, so not anybody can just come in and, and copy. Um, you know, so we've patented, well, I have a patent now that's been our, our solid span technology patent. Um, uh, I think it was issued probably three, four years ago. It took about two years to, you know, to get it through the examiner and all that. So, um, and, and now I just applied for like 16 new patents. Uh, this particular paddle has three of the new ones and then some, you know, some new proprietary things that we did. So you're going to see, I think the evolution of a feel and performance and shape and all that, that is just going to get better from, from yeah. here forward. Yeah. Something mm -hmm. I'm, before we get into patents, because I think that's definitely a very interesting aspect, especially given if you look at a lot of the top paddles, you start to see that 
they're somewhat redundant. The only thing that's changing is probably branding and marketing. Before we get into that, a popular question that you probably get with any paddle, especially these days, is like edgeless. Is that edgeless? Yes. Um, And the majority of our paddles are edgeless. And and what edgeless really means that it it goes into a mold, uh, which is a cavity mold. So we, 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 and then we, blow it up internally like a balloon like you would push all the material to the edges of the mold what is that material so it may, might make more sense to other people like i saw that like you have the rib structures and you have that it's not hollow but there's like that material that we like yeah the, there's different um well some of it we we can use uh for dampening we can use a rubber um a rubber type material for for expansion there's actually this right here this is um I won't tell you what exactly what it is, but it's a it's a chemical process that it, that expands when it reaches a certain temperature. So, at about a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, it, it will begin to expand. So, this actually this piece I'll show it a little closer here is the handle of our, but this isn't the outside. I mean this this is a pre shape of our handle. So then what we do with this is we begin to wrap the carbon fiber around this. And then this piece, when we, we shape this at a lower temperature. And then once we're ready to mold it, we fire it up at a much higher temperature and then this will expand again. So this could expand uh, maybe two or three times and it'll expand probably um, depending on the material, uh, up to 30 times its original shape. So, and by doing that, we can create tremendous pressure internally and that helps push the material. That is one way. So this is what we call doing it through a chemical process. We could also use a gas. So once we, um, if we had like a bladder, uh, and, and we wanted a sealed system. So, um, then I would, put a gas in here and then when we put that in the mold the gas would just expand right and push everything to the sides or we could put a like an air nozzle in the mold and then with a bladder as well then with a compressor or just external air pressure we can pressurize the inside of the paddle so there's several ways to create this internal pressure this is one of them this this material here it's not structural so you know we could there's no structure to this this is yeah so so this this you know you can see it's not structural um but this helps us shape um you know it it gives us what we call a pre-shape so we can form the the carbon fiber around it our goal is to form this paddle almost to the perfect dimension to fit inside the cavity mold because you, you don't want it to be small and then expand and stretch or or too big and then you compress it because you get wrinkles and all that wrinkles in carbon fiber are a no-no um, and then if you don't have enough so the mold or the part going into the mold has to match almost perfectly otherwise you get air bubbles you get you know areas that don't uh, blow up properly and and anytime you do that you you compromise your structure a little so there's a trick to doing what we call the pre-shape 
to match it almost perfect to go into the mold. You want to just be able to put this piece into the mold and just fire it up and and just pressurize the heck out of it. So so your part once it's cured, it's you know it's perfect. And um, so we do that again with air. We can do it with um, you know this uh, expanding foams. We can add other materials in there. So I can actually embed. Uh, dampening materials within this piece i can do um, all kinds of stuff and that, that's what's really cool so with the combination of and it's also feel the weight of that yeah. it's that's yeah it's ridiculous it there's no weight it's almost. like feels I like mean, a piece of popcorn <laughs> yeah it's like popcorn <laughs> but it creates tremendous pressure so you know you take that compared to um polypropylene which is a plastic that's extremely heavy i mean it's structurally they're just we're, we're we're in two different worlds you know and, and again um polypropylene and honeycomb paddles have their place but now that we've actually matched the sound the feel the you know things with carbon fiber and some of these other techniques we're going to push pickleball to other you know and, and pickleball paddle technology to other realms and then you get an athlete that can really maximize the performance of this so now i this paddle right now is at eight ounces but i can literally make this paddle extremely strong probably six ounces yeah. is the six ounce paddle something viable today probably not because you know it, it's not somebody needs to learn how to use a, a six ounce paddle and then how do we, you know, do things? I don't know where the game, but we have that capability. We can obviously make a six, maybe even lighter paddle. We can make a heavier paddle with the same strength and, and have just these tremendous. So I don't know where the industry will go in terms of the athlete, but we have quite a huge range to build um, a lot of things, you know, and, and, you know, so now we have this this paddle the pro paddle the pro um power that can generate at eight ounces the same velocity of a paddle that weighs nine and a half ounces so now you've got the maneuverability of this very light paddle super quick with power at your hands you know when you need it and just tons of control you don't need a lot of mass behind it the paddle's not going to twist on you. It's not going to get pushed back because somebody hit the ball hard. It'll actually return the energy. So now, how does that change somebody's game? So one of my goals with this was, if you need a more power, you don't need to go for a large swing. So you can just come here, and now you're ready. You just pop that ball back to your opponent pretty hard, and you didn't really move. So you're you're in the ready position to receive their shot, you know if they returned it, <laughs> right? But um, so how do we shorten the stroke? How do we keep you in, in a more ready position most of the time? Uh, and that's that's really what we're, all of these things are going into the design of this paddle. And that's what's fun. And that's what's really cool. It is cool, man. Because yeah. like, dude, you've been a racket player for God knows how long it's probably over like 20 years at this point, but you came up with gearbox in like 2015 with your team and everyone involved. But then like we we've talked about in the past before where like the timing wasn't always kind of right. Like you're right that the game 
and the products do kind of align with what the customer and like the players need or want or seeking. And that's always going to be difficult to catch up to. But I think like the timing of this paddle and based on the reviews I've read or heard about too, like, Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to mention this guy again. Chris Olson. <laughs> Chris Olson. Huh? Yeah, pickleball studio. Like he didn't divulge any information that he wasn't uh supposed to, but he was just like he he kept it pretty short. He's like, this is a game changer. He didn't really use any other words except that. And like to hear that, because over the past like year, year and a half, you know, the I think the Hyperion was like a great paddle that mm-hmm. like changed things. And then everyone kind of followed suit. But then what is the next evolution, right? Like what's the next thing that people are looking for? What's great about this paddle is like, I think people know what they're looking for, but also like as Steve Jobs had said, and like uh, Henry Ford, right? Like if we gave people what they wanted, we would have like, we still have like uh, people riding like horse-drawn carriages. You mm-hmm. kind of like have to give Force people- Force it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, be able to predict that in a way, but you're taking a risk on it too by providing this, but like, Man, like I'm excited to see what people think because I think I talked about with Will too, is that like I think in the next year or I don't know how however long more, but like I think power is gonna be a huge emphasis now. And like even the way you talked about because you come from a player background and you understand the different uh like dynamics of playing and like body movement and all that, you're talking about having a shorter swing. Like that makes a lot of difference, right? Like milliseconds, like fractions of a second of time to like change your body position, changing your like uh, paddle face position. If you can minimize that with using like a paddle, uh, uh, using a, yeah, like an instrument, that's going to make a huge difference. So like now you have people moving a little bit less. So there's less like variability in the way their body is moving. Um, that that's going to be like super, super interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, Right now, here's how pickleball is broken down, right? You want control, 16, 18 uh, millimeter paddle, right? A thick paddle. You want power, a thin paddle. Um, also, you want more more power, um, heavier paddle. You want a more stable paddle, way, way out at the, you know, three and nine o'clock um, to get, you know, the stability from a wide paddle. Increase the size of the sweet spot, weigh it out at the you know, add lead tape to three and nine o'clock or somewhere around there. Uh, you want spin. Well, then you add more texture. All those are great, but they're very basic, um, ways to manipulate your paddle here. We're giving you an eight ounce paddle. You don't have to put lead tape on the sides. It's very stable at eight ounces. It's extremely maneuverable. It's going to give you the power, um, I actually saw some numbers. So this paddle is coming in. I mean, they, they have some EVA foam paddles right now that, you know, aren't legal or whatever. Um, I'm just going to say a number, but this is pretty close to it. You know, they're hitting the ball at 60 miles an hour, right? A traditional honeycomb paddle is hitting the ball around 52 miles an hour. Um, our paddles, these, the pro power came in like at 55, you know, 56. And then the, um, the pro control, it's just as hard as, you know, um, a current, you know, power, legal power paddle, as they call it. So we, we're giving you a little bit more power than, um, than the most powerful paddle that's out there. That's legal, not, you know, a thermal formed or, 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 or a delaminator or, you know, broken core, uh, thermal form 
or the EVA paddles. So you've got that power right below that number, but the control that's in here is tremendous. So in it's all in one, one standard eight ounce paddle. That is like your base. Now, if you want to customize it, you say, well, I'm used to a heavier weight, then go ahead. But before you do that, I would challenge you to maybe speed up your hands a little to, you know, because as soon as you start adding a lot of weight to the paddle, you're giving up maneuverability, right? Um, there's always a concept, a cause, you know, that there's a cause and effect, right? So you add weight, you slow it down. You, you remove weight, you speed it up, but then you don't have enough uh, power behind the paddle or stability. What I'm saying is, we kept this at eight ounces. You have the stability of a nine and a half ounce paddle. You have the power of a nine and a half ounce paddle. You have the control of a nine and a half ounce paddle, but the maneuverability of, of an eight ounce paddle, the, the swing weight, um, you know, they're going to, some of the guys that are reviewing the paddles, they're going to give you the actual numbers of the rotational weight and they're going to give you the swing weight. Have, they, gonna have see, you gotten those numbers? The swing I weight? do, but I'll wait for some of the guys to, it's, that way it's not coming from me. You know, you'll, you'll hear it and then they'll tell you they're independent individuals who are, you know, and, and, and the equipment that some individuals use is different from ours. So swing weight is not like weight that it, there's a law or there's, you know, a standard that one gram is one gram. So swing weight, there's different swing weight machines. So one machine could be 122. Another, you know, company's machine is like 115. We use a Rosignol machine that we really like. Um, so our swing weight measures in the like 78 when some of these other machines were weighing 120. So there's no law of, okay, this is what swing weight is. It's just yeah. more of a measurement. I yeah. try to tell that to people because uh -huh. like, people wanted that in a review. They're like, oh, well, you're not talking about like the swing weight. I was like, dude, because that's not objective. And like, if you're looking for like an objective measurement, like, well, for starters, the paddle someone gets can be com not completely different, but there is going to be variability between like what I receive and what someone else receives. And then, like you just said, like the, oh, instru for sure. the instrument to measure that. And I was like, so just like feel it for yourself is what I like try to tell people. I was like, there's like certain things like weight. I think the weight of the paddle does make sense. The like length and all that. I think that makes sense too, because just based on the player. But when I talk about like swing weight and like RPMs, I'm like, those numbers don't really matter. Like I've seen no multiple reviewers have different RPMs for the same paddle. And f for the reasons you just discussed. Yeah. I mean, geez, uh, uh, they're sort of crude methods being yeah. used, you know, of me measuring RPM and things. There's, you know, there's obviously some equipment out there, but there's, we don't have standards right now. I mean, the only standards that USAPA, I mean, obviously we have weight. I mean, that, that you can't argue with that. Um, even spin rate, you know, even if you had a robot, I would, I would question the spin rate because for example, our handle is very rigid, but then you have some honeycomb, uh, core paddles, uh, that there's companies that still use the wood, you know, which is the balsa wood, which is very soft. So when you went, when you go to clamp that down, the balsa wood's going to be soft and sort of squishy. Yeah. Some have like a rubberized or, or a, a EVA foam handle that, you know, they create the larger handle with. So how do you account for the, the variance or the variable of the material, you know, squeezing down? And 
And actually right now they're trying to develop some tests that measure, you know, the speed off the face of the paddle. And all those variables are going to be a factor. It's like, well, wait, wait a minute. Our handle is very rigid. How do you account for your clamp that holds the paddle in place? Oh, we're going to use a robot to swing the same way. I said, well, that's all great. But your clamping system, you're going to have to use the exact same clamping system or, or you know, or, uh, and the materials and the handle have to be kind of the same. So there's, um, at the end, I, I think, um, we are going to, or we created a paddle that is very neutral and I'm going to, I totally encourage people to experiment with it. Like, yeah. um, I want to encourage people to see just what you can do. So our player, our player base, we have some that are experimenting with, you know, the power one because they're shaping the ball. They're doing new. I mean, they're, they're just adding new shots to their, you know, their, their tool bag. And you have others that are more traditional. They're like, Oh no, I I've been working so hard and for such a long time on my stroke that I don't want to change anything. So I thought, perfect. You know, we've got the control one that's going to give you that base. You don't need to, you, you do it as you want. And then, um, you know, just continue your, the stroke that you've been working really hard with. And then use this to uh, get you to that feel, give you more spin and give you a, a ton of feel. And, and, um, and just so you know, the I did get... Uh, so this this paddle here, like I said, is about fifty five to fifty seven miles an hour. You know, right around that range. This one uh, is coming in right at fifty four. So about three mile an hour difference on using the same you know sort of testing, but the feel very different. Uh, some people are oh my god, I I I'm, I just not generating you know as much speed. But it's a perception too. So, but in terms of measuring the ball coming off the paddle, it's going to be very close, you know, overall. But the important point here is where technology is going, and and that's the exciting part for me. I mean, this is only the first step. I mean, actually, for us, the first step was getting rid of the polypropylene core. I mean, even before us, it went from wood, and somebody you know created the polypropylene the polypropylene core with the honeycomb structure and that was awesome i mean and, and it's still a viable technology today i think they're referring to those as first generation paddles now and now you have thermoform that are second generation we created this uh sst core 2015 or so or, you know late 14 and now what is that seven eight years later you know we're dialing it in now so now i think people are going to appreciate what we were trying to do back then in what we're doing in today's paddle. And I mean, and it took eight years to really develop, understand and sort of hone in on the player and the technology and sort of marry them or, you know, bring it together. So yeah, uh, we're excited about the future. I'm excited, super excited about this new release. And, and um, yeah, so that's kind of what, has brought us to this moment at this point. It's cool, man. I mean, like, like I mentioned before, the gearbox was my first like aftermarket. Like mm -hmm. that was when I was like, Oh, I need a new, like I need to step up now. And like, 
It's cool to see because that was in 2020, but the company's been around since, or the pickleball side has been around since 2015. So I still consider, I consider Gearbox to be somewhat of a legacy brand. So to see you guys like, you always had the technology, but now to see it actually coming out, being like exposed, being, uh, getting eyes on it and getting the traction. And then like to see like the technology is actually being advanced is super, super cool. And like, yeah, if there's first, like you said, there's first and second generation paddles, like possibly could this be third generation? So like, that's cool to even have that in the history of pickleball, the advancement of pickleball. Um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like that's a C core. We mentioned a little bit about like patents. What is your perspective on patents? How do you, I think a, we hear about it a lot. If you go on like Reddit and you hear just in like the community forums of like people copying different things, like someone had a photo of a rhombus paddle that had the six zero plastic wrap around the grip, like a brand new paddle. And they like someone received <laughs> yeah. it shipped like that. And you're like, okay, like, at what point do we draw the line? Because as a customer, that can get kind of annoying, right? You're like, oh, I thought I was buying something different. But mm-hmm. I think people are starting to understand like most of the paddles that a lot of people are that are being passed around now, the variance is minimal. And just curious to see and understand like how patents, how do you keep people from infringing on patent? How do you go about creating a patent? Like, when do you know when to patent something? Yeah, well, first of all, the patent, you just don't create it. And you just don't say, well, I'm going to patent that. It's in order to receive a patent, it has to be an original idea. And it has to be unique and it has to have not been done in the past or there's some variance of something that has been done in the past. And you have to present that to the examiner of the United States or examiner of whatever country you're trying to patent the, to say, Hey, this has never been done. This is a unique idea. And there is, um, well, let me just say this. There's a couple of types of patents. One, you have a utility patent and then you have a design patent. Design means that, well, I'm going to patent the way the, the shape of this cup is. And, you know, I've, and it's a very basic patent. So, you know, uh, for example, we have this cup and I'm going to patent that this curve comes here and, you know, you do some design to it, but you're only getting that patent to that specific design. If I come through and I say, well, I'm going to make this square or rectangular, I patent that, but I still have a cup and I still have a handle in, in, um, in a utility patent using this same example is you can say, well, I have a cup, but every time I put really hot coffee, this cup is burning my hand, right? So what I did is I patented a, you know, this ear that comes out and now I can hold my hot coffee without me burning my hand. And that is more of a utility patent. That means there's an actual function and there's, there's a benefit to that. It's not just a design because it looks a certain way. This actually has a function. So now I can drink coffee at, you know, I don't know, 180 degrees if you want. And, uh, without burning my hand, I can hold the cup all day long and the coffee's going to stay hot and my hand's not going to burn. So, um, that would be what we consider a utility patent. And that's where I, I see a lot. You, I, and if you look patent pending, patent pending, patent pending, 
And yeah, they may have patent pending means that they've submitted a patent to the United States Patent Office, uh, USPTO, but um, that doesn't mean that they're going to get a patent. You, you have to prove to the examiner, it's like, hey, this is an original idea. It has this function. I'm claiming that this paddle is going to do have this performance. And you have to prove it. You can't just say it. It's like, okay, well, show me your data. Show me what it's doing. And um, most of the time, and there's a section of a patent that has the claim section. In, and in there, you have to say, okay, I made a paddle that does this. It's made of these materials. It's doing that and that. And you make that, you know, you make 100 claims. The examiner is going to come back and probably knock off 70% of them. So a utility patent is really what you're after. A design patent is, you know, it's cute, right? It's It's got a, a different shape, a color, very basic. So a utility patent, um, and, and what we do, I mean, that's our focus is we protect not only its function and like our, our, our SST, but if you go read and read through the patent, it's the process too of how we're manufacturing. So, you know, it's the process of this material is used, that material, um, we apply heat at this uh, moment and, you know, the ribs expand or this expand. So it's very specific steps on how we create this structure. And the more we do that, um, the more protection that you have. So in, in, and in a patent, a utility patent, you, you want to write it as broad as possible to prevent others from coming in and going around it, you know, in a way. So you'll see a lot of patent pending stuff, but actually patented, very different. And, and that's, you know, I've, I don't know, I think I have maybe 19, 20 patents to date. And then um, I just, like I said, I applied for 16, I think um we'll probably get all 16 i'm pretty confident we already have some already now um and when you apply for a patent you're not only applying in the united states because we're manufacturing in other countries so you have to patent in uh, in the countries where you manufacture and in the countries where you're going to sell your product otherwise you know somebody can go around it and um, that process can get very expensive it's not not a cheap you know uh, not only what it costs to build it or, or to get the patents you have to maintain it, and then you have to patent in all the multiple countries that you want to sell the product in. If you have a patent, can you sell like rights to it or something? Like, can you like commercialize yeah, you, it? Yeah, you can commercialize. So, if I, I mean, I could choose to say, okay, well, I've patented this technology or I created this product. Um, you can license it out, right? License. So, yeah, you can license the patent or you receive royalties. You say, I'm going to. You license it to another brand and, and um, let's say, you know, Nike approached Gearbox or a large brand like that approached Gearbox and said, look, uh, we're interested in entering the pickleball space and we see that you have this patent, obviously have a lot more money than you do. We can take it to market and do a better job. You say, well, yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, I show you, uh, I'll let you utilize the technology. Maybe I build it for you so I can make some money on building it. Or if they say, no, we'll build it, well, then you just pay me a, a royalty from that. So, yeah, I mean, patents are a good way to, you know, a lot of people make money uh, that way without having to work. So, uh, for me, I, I, I like to do it, um, well, we need to do it to protect our technology because then we have the situation of, 
thermal form and everything else. And then it's kind of touching back on that subject. You know, there's probably only a handful of factories in in Asia and, you know, could be Taiwan, could be China, Vietnam that are manufacturing these thermal form paddles. And, you know, I, I know most of the factories. I know the people there. And yes, I mean, a lot of the paddles are coming out from the same factories and, and um, people are making it their own by saying, well, I, I want this shape and, and by people, I mean, brands, right? So, um, so I want to start a brand is like, well, I contact the, that company that makes the paddle. I really want to make this paddle and I want this weight. I want that balance. And, you know, they get a few R and D paddles to test once they get to the one they like, because they shared it with their friends or test team, they're like, okay, this one's going to be good. And I've heard it, you know, I think you've interviewed a couple people. Like, oh yeah, I created this paddle. I wouldn't say you created the paddle. You requested a certain weight, shape, and uh, feel, I guess. But you really didn't create anything. You, you, you're buying something that somebody already created and then just made it more specific to what you're looking for, right? Or what your test team uh, deemed acceptable, right? And, and and then you order those and then you buy them. And even in listening to a lot of the people that own these brands and stuff, it's great. I mean, they're, they're in the business. When they say, yeah, this is an injected foam paddle, okay, you're not, you don't know what you're talking about. Right, because you don't inject foam around the perimeter. I mean, it's it's a whole process, right? It's a different process. So, so uh, or they talk about, oh, this has T seven hundred in it. It's or these buzzwords are cute, you know, and they're utilizing these things, but without really understanding what is T seven hundred, right? And what what is oh a Torre? You got to use Torre. No, you don't. T seven hundred, you know, mid modulus carbon fiber certified and and. Um, it has to have a certain performance, whether it's made by Torre. Yeah, there's different qualities, but they're going to have the same specifications. So anyway, you hear things like that and you're like, okay, they're in the business. You know, they're, they're just getting into it. They're, they're going to, you know, they have a lot of things to learn from design. So they take a product and, and, and sort of make it their own. So that is, I think you gave an example of somebody ordering a, a paddle from one brand and then they had the wrapping of another, yeah. you know, mixed into one. I'm sh I can totally see how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you got a production line all of a sudden like, Oh, the, here's, you know, we just finished this brand's paddle. Oh, this is the new paddle. And you know, somebody in the line there like, Oh, I had an extra wrapper. Maybe this one goes to, they're not looking, they don't know what brand is what they're just putting wrapping material on a handle that, you know, it's coming through their, you know, their line. So yeah, you can see things like that happening, but, um, Hey, uh, they're all good. Right. I mean, the paddles are good. They're starting up, but the consumer, I think in some way is winning, um, because they're getting really good paddles at a lower price. Uh, right. I mean, you see now thermoform paddles, uh, I, I saw, somebody review one and it was like $99, but you put my code in, it's $89, right? You're like, boy, you know, that's, but there is the consumer wins, but, but the industry loses in a way because the consumer may be getting a, a the same product because and this person who's selling it is willing to give up margin 
but they're really not sponsoring pro players. They're not sponsoring the pro tours. They're not sponsoring. They're not putting money back into the sport. They could be operating. In fact, I know some of them or most are operating out of their garage. They're, they're shipping, they're answering the phone calls, they're answering the emails. So you have, you know, one or two people operating the whole thing. So their overhead is very low. And then, you know, they're okay with making $20 a paddle. And it's okay if you want to scale your business to that size. But eventually, if you want to grow it, you need more investment. And, you know, and you have to, if you want to be part of the tour PPA, you know, you, you got to spend a hundred grand just to be, have a name up there. I mean, at the starting sort of point right so you know you want to you want to sponsor tournaments you want to sponsor players i mean that cost comes from the high-end paddle so that's where it's not that you know some people oh well you know the paddles only cost thirty dollars yeah but that's only the cost of the product i mean but there's cost of marketing and players and, and all this so that burden is carried by particularly the higher end paddles you know and that's why the price is you know, go up. So some paddle, you know, some paddle companies do try to obviously make more margin and they get away with it, which is fine. You know, we spend obviously a lot of money and a lot of time in R and D and we don't have big budgets to sponsor the, the best pro players out there. I, I personally believe our company is going to lead and, and, and grow based on our technology. So once we, you know, you have solid technology and, and, and uh, even our, our paddles in the past, we've, like I mentioned, we hit this niche market where we cater to older players. And, and, uh, and then um, I would say the last probably six years, we've catered to a market that people got tired of their paddles breaking or falling apart. The, the bumper guards every two months and they're returning and exchanging you're like, man, I want a solid paddle that I could just use for a long time and not have to worry about it. So we, on the consumer side, you know, not necessarily the tournament player, we have a tremendous amount of paddles that we sell because these people don't want to bother exchanging their paddle every couple of months, you know, and they're like, yeah. man, I, I just I want a stable paddle that I can play with. So we built a very loyal customer base with that. So now... We're like, okay, well, now let's go in and um, create a product that you you want this product. If you're not playing with it, you're at a disadvantage. And that's what the pro line is all about. It's like, if you're not playing with this, you're, you're coming into you're, you're coming into a gunfight with a knife, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, you know, that's really what we're, we're trying to do here. It's like, I, I want to elevate. It's like, I, I want to set that bar so much higher. It's like, so... Buddy, this this is the paddle you need to come in to play against me, you know, because yeah. I'm playing with this paddle and I have an advantage. So to equalize that playing field, you you better have this paddle. And that's sort of, oh, that's my goal with that, you know. And we're going to keep pushing every year, you know, come out with, with that new. And I hope to, you know, be 90% right in terms of the field play and everything else that we do. And, and uh, yeah, we'll push some technologies, you know, even further in the future. And that's really what our brand is about, you know, exploration, going out there, putting ourselves out on the limb and, and, uh, you know, be judged, you know, it's like, okay, you know, uh, the market will say, and we're getting better at marketing too. So, you know, that's always, it's a lot of money. Marketing takes, a lot of money and um we were we've been very solid so you know with our technologies 
we're very happy with the growth that we have and, and the pace that we're on. Um, I'm in it for the long term, you know, and, and every sport that we get into, we're, we're in it for the long run. I mean, I want to build a solid brand, quality brand that people say gearbox. It's man, I, I, that's quality. You know, they have a, a, a certain feel, a certain aspect to the brand that you want to be part of it as, you know, um, as a player and, you know, and, and that's really what building a brand to me it signifies, right? It, it's where people accept it because you have technology, you have a certain look, you know, and, and culture within, within that brand. Yeah. It's cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. I, when you're talking about like marketing and also like how you differentiate yourself, like there's some brands, uh, Vatic Pro, I think they did a great job like differentiating themselves. Like, yeah, they put out a good paddle that people enjoy, but also price. I think price they did like, and that could also speak to what you were saying before about like the overhead costs and all that. But Mm -hmm. without getting into those details, I think like what is a company's value proposition and Vatic was price. Um, and like some people have a story, some people have different marketing, some people have like certain personality that they bring out with their company, but when you talk about like marketing being expensive, it's interesting because like, I think you're hitting two birds with one stone with this product and just innovation in general. And just like focusing on the product is like the way the point that pickleball is at right now is that a product can almost market a comp the, the quality of a product can market for a company um, without having to have like a big spending budget. Again, I use Vatic Pro as an example quite often because they've really stood out in this past year. Mm-hmm. They don't sponsor a lot of part players. They have like Spencer Smith, right? And then like uh, one female player. And I think like Brandon Lane, that's neither here nor there. They don't spend a lot on marketing. They don't have, yeah, I don't think they put any ads out on like social media platforms. So as long as you have a product that is stand out at the point that Pickwall is at right now, if you get paddle reviewers who rave about that product, man, that it'll blow up. And I totally agree. So somebody, you know, or a company like Vatic Pro, they have a good balance. They have a good balance of obviously a quality product because the word of mouth and you mentioned the influencers who give good reviews, the price is right. So, you know, and he's found a group of, customers that are more price conscious performance um you know they're looking for that performance yeah but when things like that happen is you know if you're not developing your own product and you're relying on you know in this case a factory in in china to build product for you then you're at the mercy i I feel you don't have as much control over your future of the brand because you're giving that up to you know a a factory in china somebody creating a product for you and you hope that they build the next thing and you can buy it from them right yeah and i personally don't like to be there that's why i'm more product driven um i mentioned the marketing you know right now the game seems to be spending a lot of money on um e-commerce doing ad spending right ad spend for whether it's google whether it's um, social media or you know 
Amazon right now. Uh, a lot of people are making money with their brands by they know the metrics on how to manipulate AdWords on Amazon. And so you create the product isn't as important there because you're just putting it in front of so many people that just by percentage and they're going to buy it. You know, you, you reach them first, but, that, but that's expensive. You know, that's, that's going to be very, very expensive. So we have to find the way I feel is if we have a good product, well, we have the word of mouth, we have influencers who are, are going to speak well about it. And then if we do the ad spend as well, and then you got a good balance, you, you got a, a solid company and, and it's not, you know, what I would call kind of a, a one hit wonder, you know, that you knock it out of the park with this one product, but what's your follow up, right? So, yeah. I, you know, we're more consistent, we're working, we're, we're finding right now for us and, and even the market is you have the high performance, you know, you've got a larger group in the, in the mid uh, tier of the pyramid, I guess. And then you've got that entry level, which is a wide base. I mean, you talk about, you hear all these numbers of, uh, you know, 50 million people participated in pickleball at some point, you know, last year or the, the number of times people participated. And then you have the core, which is 8 million. And then you have your really hardcore, which is your tournament players. I, I don't know what that number is now, but um, whatever you know, number of people are playing tournaments is probably maybe a million or, or, or two. Um, so there's all these different market segments. And for us as a brand now, we identify the different ones. And, you know, we, you learn to treat each one almost as a separate business within Gearbox because, you know, to reach that tournament player, you need very specific marketing for that versus that newbie that's just heard about pickleball from their buddies. They went to a chicken and pickle and they had so much fun. And where do I get a paddle? You know, it's like, well, in today's generation, you just get online and do an Amazon search or, you know, if there's a chain store, you know, a Walmart or something near you, depending on your budget, you go and, you know, you do something, you, you buy it quick. But I think mostly people, before you go into a, a store, you just get on the phone. Yeah. And you search it. Oh, I heard about this. Or, or you type in pickleball, pickleball paddles. And, you know, that's where all the brands are competing to be first, you know, when that person does the search. And in order to do that, you know, you got to spend a lot of money to be first. So when you're talking about the different market segments, mm -hmm. like in the first uh, time we attempted this, you had brought a different paddle that hit on that um, kind of like lower price range. Did you bring that paddle with you? I'm not sure if I did. Um, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, so now what we're doing to, yeah, I mean, now you're touching upon, and I, and I just mentioned it, I believe, is that we're dividing Gearbox into different market segments and treating each market differently. So, you know, we're um, you can't just brand it as one. You have to identify the type of player that's your tournament player you have your frequent player you have your recreational player you have the fun youthful uh, teenage or college kids that just want to go have be cool and you know they can care less about technology it's all about 
how cute my paddle looks and can I match it with my shoes and outfit? And, yeah. Yeah. They, it's got to perform to a certain, but the price has to be right. The, you know, the looks have, so there's a consumer or a, a player that's attracted to different types of paddles for various reasons, you know, whether it's performance, whether it's look or price. Um, we're now very, conscious of those those things and we're building product lines not to cover a hundred percent of everybody that's too crazy but at least a large market segment so we're solid in you know a, a few different areas and and um i think that creates longevity for for the brand and then it's also fun because you get to do the performance you get to do the artsy sort of side of things and then you you know we work on I'm bringing value for the price conscious value and, and performance, you know, at, at different price points. So we are identifying those areas and, and um, going to be pretty aggressive in how we reach those, those segments too. Makes sense though. There's yeah. like, that's a, a market segment. That's not necessarily being like, there, there's not a whole lot of attention being put on them. It's like, their first paddle doesn't have to be a new Pipo or like an Amazon paddle, right? Like, no, it should no. be like a higher end paddle, but just at like maybe like a lower price point. Like, they shouldn't have to build a set. They shouldn't have to sacrifice like performance quality or, or, yeah, quality. or yeah, quality. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's what we want to bring as a brand yeah. is to say, look, you know, we can build a good quality paddle at an entry level price yeah. you know and, and, and we do want to separate ourselves yeah, if you look that. at the stats and they're talking mm -hmm. about like oh 50 million people have participated then like why do we keep not that there's anything wrong with focusing attention on the pros and the competition scene but it's like okay well hey we should probably putting be putting a significant amount of attention to those groups of people who like just participated how do, how do we could change it from they just participated to I want to play more regularly now. Like we don't want the people who just pick up a paddle and then that's the last time they play. Like how do we create an experience? How do we create like a, this like memory that they can look back on and like forge more and make friends. Like we've like made tons of friends. Community, with yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how do we get them into that? How do we let them like experience that aspect of community? Not just, Hey, I hit a ball. It was super fun. It was cool. I understand why people were really addicted to it. And then that's just like the last time they play, right? I think that is one of the missions or, or goals as as a company is to ensure that the longevity of the sport continues in the future. And the way you do that is you take somebody brand new that heard about pickleball or, you know, either through the news, through a friend or the hype that's being out there through a, a TV program or, or whatever it is. And um, they see it, they're like, oh, I want to try it. And then once they're engaged in it well i think product or the experience of buying the product playing for the very first time is important because you know once they're in we were successful to bring them into the court and they're playing well that's when we want to guide these you know these new players and see how far they they go right they, they may just stay in the recreational um side and and uh have fun with their friends and you know it's it's their social i'm going to get a little exercise it's fun and we're social and we're hanging out with our buddies and that's it you know they don't want anymore but then out of that group there's going to be it's like oh, i want to compete i want to go to a tournament and then you're going to have the people that stay in the 
the three O to four five level and compete in tournaments all the time. They're improving and they have fun. That's there's a challenge for them. And then out of that group, you're going to have the ones that want to continue further and, and pursue the, how good can I be? Can I become a pro? Can I do, you know, and, I, and, and as they go through these different steps, we want to be there as a brand, you know, and, and um, welcome them in into every section that they, they get into and, and build the the products that they're, they're going to enjoy, you know, in, in those different categories or, or, or steps in their pickleball life <laughs> Yeah, as we go through. What's next for Gearbox? I think uh, a lot of that. Of, well, number one is really... Um, because we're a technology brand and, and, and technology driven, we're definitely going to push that space. And I think it's the high end player or the, the very competitive player who's looking to really excel or improve their game as much as possible. We're going to focus and, and continue driving hard, you know, the uh, technology side. So that is, you know, that's gearbox, right? But also taking what we learned from our high-end products and bringing some of those technologies down to more affordable price points. Um, so rather than gearbox competing um, in just lowering the price of honeycomb paddles and, you know, getting, yeah, I, I could, I mean, I have relationships in Asia and, and, you know, we have a factory out there and we have, you know, a lot of friends of mine that have the factories and I can certainly just go buy a product off the shelf, but that's not who we are. I mean, so I'm going to take a technology that we've created already that we spend a lot of money on and I'm going to find a way to make that more affordable and then bring it into the, the next group of uh, players. So, we're coming out with a line, it's called a G2, which is a fully molded paddle with a honeycomb core. We took a technology that we introduced probably seven years ago. A couple of brands are using that as their high end today. That's going to be our second tier uh, product. And we're going to, there's some brands that are charging $300 to $250 for that technology. We're going to bring it in between $100 to $139. And awesome performing paddles. They look beautiful and they're fun and you know we're we're, we're gonna go um the way i picture it is just these youthful players that are you know excited to go to the court they they have their little uh you know sound box that they take to the court they turn it on they um you know they take snacks and they're sharing with their friends and having a good time that's where we picture that line mm, and yeah. you know it's like it's just this fun, you know, uh, group of people using our paddles and they're matching their outfits. They're doing this whole thing. And, and, you know, so we're looking for there and, and that's, we're differentiating ourselves by introducing this technology that it has the performance, a very good performance, high performance at a different value. And, and we're not competing in the space of just trying to go cheaper in price. You know, yeah. it's just, we're bringing you, a durable, very elegant, uh, fun paddle. And we do that. We're also introducing our G16, our G12, uh, um, G14. Um, and those are more traditional honeycomb 
um, first generation. I don't, I'm not going to build uh, thermal form because I, I don't fully believe in it. We can get the same benefits without having to do thermal form because, you know, we do it the gearbox way. Um, and, but we're bringing in a, so we have our GBX line in there. We have the GBX, we have a G16 and G14 that they're also going to be um, more affordable and, and they're going to have the performance. So they have the textured surface. They have, you know, the raw carbon fiber, peel ply. Uh, these are different terms that use for the same sort of technology and they're going to have the honeycomb core and we're making those um, very competitive in terms of price. But the difference there, you're going to get the quality of what Gearbox is known for. I mean, yeah, we're going to produce the product. We, um, we don't produce it the same way as everybody else, or even our, our honeycomb paddles. Most of the companies will build like a, a large sheet and route out as many paddles out of it and see how many they can yield. We don't, we build each product individually. We reinforce areas that are known to break and things. And then we reinforce the honeycomb and, and actually created some new technologies in that, in those paddles that, I think they're going to be very interesting to for performance and durability and, and all that. So what do you mean by you don't believe in thermoform? Um, thermoform, I don't believe in it. It has its purpose in terms of, I don't believe in it from the manufacturing and, and what you get out of it. Yes. The paddle does perform well overall. However, um, they break down and and what happens is you're taking structure away from the core or from the face plies. And if you're trying to build an eight ounce paddle, you, you have eight ounces to play with, right? You, so if you all of a sudden take 20 grams or 30 grams and you're taking it from someplace in the paddle to, so you can create this perimeter frame around the edge, well, that's got to come off the center of the paddle somewhere, right? So it's either coming off a couple of uh, face plies or the the polypropylene core, the thickness of the wall, or, you know, the, the honeycomb size. So generally they, they go for a larger size, so you have less vertical walls. So then you, so what happens by removing some of that weight and putting it in the perimeter, yeah, you make a stiffer paddle, but now you you compromise the core because you've, spaced out the cells a little larger or you've thinned out the walls so you're taking that structural material and and and, uh, weight away from it to put it in the perimeter and um so now you have a paddle that'll play great for maybe a month or two and then it breaks down so hence you know what are the paddle gate or whatever it was called i don't know where um, the cores are breaking down and, and, um, you know, now PPA and MLP and all these guys have, they're sending people to test the course for crushed cores and, uh-huh. and all this stuff. And, you know, it's this unintended consequence of a product that, yeah, it's not a bad product to R and D and maybe do testing with, but it, I don't believe it's a viable product for an industry over the long run unless you know you're willing to buy a paddle every month yeah that's totally cool do it right but um uh, your average consumer that wants to buy a paddle is 
they're gonna be replacing it and and i can totally see where it's even affecting the manufacturers because manufacturers used to have warranties that were at least a year and now they're six months three months two months they can't sustain the return rates and you know that that they have and so you have to do two things you drop the price you you know you shun the warranty essentially and or you make it to you as a brand um you're saying hey i'm gonna sell this paddle it's thermal form yeah it plays great but i'm not really gonna warranty it i'm gonna charge you less but because for every paddle you sell you probably have to replace three or four and all of a sudden the whatever small margin you made it's gone because you just spend it on shipping replacing three paddles and you can't sustain a business that way right so when i say i don't believe in thermoform it's not just the paddle itself it's everything that it encompasses and and um so when we build our honeycomb paddles we are i don't want to return so our return rate on the um uh the gbx for example this um it's not thermal form but it has the the texture the peel ply it's got all those technologies um you have you guys like uh players uh wyatt stone um wyatt yeah wyatt local local guy here right yeah. um and then you've got uh michelle esquivel got mario well, mario well no mario's now hitting the new one the, the new pro oh, it's a okay. wyatt all these guys eventually will too but i'm just saying you know the last year and and the sales of this paddle have been tremendous uh I, and it just they pick up more and more and more because i think people are realizing the value of these paddles and then the more you play with it they they sort of break in right and they feel right and and they they kind of hit their sweet spot and they're going to play like that for a long time so even on our honeycomb line we are really spending a lot of time and money and energy on creating a very very high performing uh paddle uh and not just for a couple of months but over a long time so that is where yeah we can make a thermal form paddle but you're you're giving up too much structure and too much to for the benefit that you get so i'd rather stay out of that particular Will we have a combination of? Yes. Um, yeah, we can definitely, and, and we're doing some cool technologies that will come out in the future, but um, not the traditional thermoformed, you know, structure that's there. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. So, yeah, yeah. Um, again, we're doing it in a way, um, when I look at a product too, it's the value of it, right? It's not just selling it, but... Long-term too. Well, long-term because, yeah. I mean especially in california our customer service is in san diego right so a 30-minute phone call all of a sudden turns into a a warranty call by the time the process is done it's almost a 60 dollars process so you can spend it on the warranty and and customer service side where you say wait wait a minute let me take that money and put it into the r d put it into the quality of the build and in my production line and let, let me revamp so we can create a quality product up front to avoid the phone call. <laughs> and that's what we prefer to do. And because not, it's not only the phone call, it's the reputation of your company, right? And, and if you really look at Gearbox and you talk to people about Gearbox, 
I believe we've created a very good reputation when it comes to quality, durability, and, and all of that. And we're, you know, trying to perfect that on the playability and everything else. And, and that's going to be something we chase probably for the rest of our lives. But when people know right now, it's like, you want a good, durable, quality, long-lasting paddle, you can count on Gearbox to have that quality. And, and, and that's important because we're spending, like I said, that time and money and energy up front to avoid, you know, will we have some warranty? Absolutely. Uh, you, humans are making these things and people and, you know, we have equipment that, you know, fails sometimes. But yeah. overall, I mean, our warranty rate is less than half a percent. I mean, which is crazy. So um, it's almost non-existent, <laughs> to be honest. But in 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 any time, you're specifications are very narrow so for example even our honeycomb line you know if we say it's eight ounces it's it's eight ounces plus or minus on our honeycomb i think it's two tenths of an ounce right so um that's very narrow well most companies you'll oh yeah we've got a, a new line out it's eight ounces plus or minus an ounce you know that's yeah boy that's that's really not having control of your production it's just Let's see what comes out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, again, we don't worry. And, and you see that because companies will sell like a heavy pad. We have a heavy. Okay, you can order this one. You want a heavyweight, midweight, or lightweight? Well, they didn't really design it that way. That's just what's coming out of <laughs> the production. So it's not like, oh, we're designing this. It's like, no, we bought this panel. And uh, for some reason, this part of the panel was very light. This one was heavy, and that was, was kind of medium. So that's what. That's what's kind of coming out of that panel, you know. So, you know, you have a problem. So they're smart about now, well, let's feature the problem. So, oh, hey, do you want lightweight, <laughs> midweight, yeah. or heavyweight? It's like, well, that's how you manage it, you know. Hopefully you can get rid of them all evenly. But we try to avoid that by just narrowing the margin and, and, and keeping. So the tighter the spec, the more expensive a product is always going to be. You're going to spend a lot more money in your production line because each process you know your specs have to be very tight from the beginning all the way to the end and that's how you know if you're hitting your your specs in every part of production your end product is going to be right on point and um but that's not cheap yeah (laughs) and it takes a lot of work to be able to manage that and and uh be able to do it but we do that with Gearbox, and, and, and that's where it really helps make our brand. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to wrap this up. Sure. But, yeah, it's been like an awesome conversation. It's probably the most most technical that I've had so far, which has been great, but also just happy to be able to, like, share the story. Like, again, the Gearbox, like, I had an experience because I, that was, like, one of my first panels I got. Mm-hmm. Then we also met in PPA Rockwall, which was really cool. I remember seeing it. I was like that is Raphael. I need to go talk to that guy right now as I have the opportunity. And then, yeah, just being able to share why Gearbox truly is different um, because there's a lot of that going around of like what makes it a, diff- a company really different as far as the products go. So that's cool. But also just be able to share this passion with someone who's like a innovator, like an engineer, and you have that very technical background, but you obviously have, you're obviously very passionate about making products and like constantly elevating that experience. But um, yeah, anything, any last things you want to include and how can more people find out more about Gearbox? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I wanted to thank you for, you know, the opportunity to tell our story a little bit, you know, and, and uh, of who we are and why we're in the business of, we're, Gearbox is a composites company, you know, um, focused in the sports world, right? Um, pickleball, I fell in love with it just like everybody else at first, you know, we got our butts kicked, uh, remember, uh, going through Utah and, and, um, there's something to be said about, you know, losing to somebody and, and that you think you should win against. And, uh, there's, you know, creates a certain drive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, and, and I, I'm an athlete, so, you know, I'm, a, I'm in that, that pursuit of, you know, of, how good can I be with the amount of time I, I spend, you know, uh, practicing or whatever. But, you know, I, I consider myself a decent enough athlete that I can get good fairly quick in a lot of the sports that I participate. So, you know, the other thing too is the sports that we build are generally sports that I've played or play or, or even, you know, that I want to be in. So there, there is that passion that, um, I do rely on our test team, but I also, I'm learning and I'm looking for things to make me a better player as well. So yeah, that, that's, that's the, uh, who Gearbox is, what we're about. And, uh, you can find us at uh, gearboxsports.com. Uh, we have two new models coming out, uh, on the 16th. So then this paddle would have come out, uh, you know, a couple days, uh, prior to the airing of this video. And, uh, we have, our pro control models and our pro uh, power and no joke here and not marketing, but this is the closest to the claim of having the most power, the most control, the largest sweet spot and maneuverability in a paddle. And this is definitely hands down the most advanced paddle when it comes to manufacturing the paddle the performance and output that you get with this paddle. And uh, hopefully you guys get to try one out there and, and you fall in love with it. And, you know, you share the same with all your, your friends and it makes you a better player because that ultimately that's, that is what we want. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate it, man. Well, thank you so much, Brian. All yeah. right. <laughs>